All right, well, if you would turn to Acts chapter 2. And we want to spend a little time looking again at this passage in light of Christmas. Because what Acts chapter 2 does for us is to help us understand why we celebrate Christmas. And there are plenty of people that celebrate Christmas, and they know it has something to do with the birth of a child about 2,000 years ago, but they're not real sure what the true significance is of that. But as Christians, we know what that significance is, and yet we always need to be reminded of it and see it in deeper, richer ways. Um, One of my favorite stories is a story that I've told uh, before. It's a story of a guy who's walking along, um, and he slips and falls off the edge of a cliff. And he's falling on the edge of the side of the cliff, and he grabs a branch. You may recall that he grabs that branch, and he's just hanging on for dear life. And he begins to cry out for help. Is anybody up there? Help! And he hears a voice that says, Yes, I'm here. Who are you? It's God. Great, God, I need your help. Could you help me? Sure, be glad to. Let go of the branch. He says, what? I said, let go of the branch. Is there anybody else up there? (laughs) Now that is a parable of sorts, if you think about it. Because we know that the Bible says, the Bible is very much about the story of a fall. Not a fall off a cliff, but a fall into sin. And the Bible tells us, that because of the fall, we all find ourselves in impossible situations where we cannot save ourselves. We cannot do what is needed to get ourselves out of an impossible situation. And we're all in various ways crying out for help. We may not be crying out to God, but in certain ways, our heart is crying out for help. And God, in various ways, through the proclamation of the gospel and in other ways, is saying, I'm here, and I'm here to help. But he also says, I'm here to help on my terms, not your terms. And so if I say, let go of the branch, I'll help you let go of the branch. And we say, well, I want help, and I even want your help, but I don't want help on your terms We see the natural sin of man in that, our natural refusal to take the help that's offered to us because we don't want it on God's terms. We want it on our terms. And so the story actually is a way of thinking about the desperate situation that we're all in as sinners, our desperate need for help because of the impossible situations we find ourselves in, God's willingness to help us, and yet... He says we must um, receive his help in the way that he offers it. And that's what the Christmas story is truly all about. So let me read for for us verses 37 through 41 again from Acts chapter 2. It says, uh, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. 
And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. There's a song that you may have heard that Sandy Patty has sung. Um, It goes something like this. Don't you love to get a present wrapped up in a Christmas bow? God gave each of us a present on that night so long ago. It's a gift that keeps on giving. If our spirits can receive, it's the secret joy of living. If our hearts can just believe. And the gift goes on. The father gave the son. And the gift goes on. The Son gave the Spirit, and the gift goes on. The Spirit gives us life, and the gift goes on and on and on, so we can give the gift of love. So you have the Father giving the Son, the Son giving the Spirit, the Spirit giving us life, and that life giving us love to share with others. And so the picture there is sort of the picture of what I did last week when I had the box. You open the box of the gift of Jesus, and there are other boxes within that box. And those boxes are reflected, in a sense, you could say, in light of what we see up here. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9.15 that we give thanks to God for his indescribable gift. An indescribable gift is a gift that can't be described because it's so great, so wonderful, so profound that we cannot plumb the depths of it. But these are um, imperfect ways of trying to capture the indescribable gift. It's the gift of the incarnate Son, where God himself enfleshes himself, embodies himself. He becomes man. He adds humanity to his divinity. And you have the God-man in the person of Jesus. And he comes in that way because of inexcusable sins, sins that can't be overlooked, sins that are without excuse, sins that must be punished. That's why he comes. But he also comes for impossible situations to enable us to do what we cannot do on our own. And he comes to satisfy our inconsolable souls. An inconsolable soul is one that can't find uh, consoling, can't find comfort, can't find satisfaction and ultimate happiness. And all this takes place through God's you might call inscrutable, unsearchable, uh, unable to fully understand sovereignty over everything. Well, what I'd like to focus on, obviously, today is the fact that Jesus came, the indescribable gift, for impossible situations. Again, if you would, look at verse 38 of Acts chapter 2. Peter, in response to uh, the people on the day of Pentecost who are convicted of their sin, They say, what are we to do? He says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what we talked about last week, that in the gift of Jesus, we have the gift that we need for our past. And the most significant thing about our past is our guilt, the guilt for our sin. And there's something that needs to be done about that if we're to be right with God. And that's where Jesus comes in to live the life we can never live, die the death that we deserve to die, rise from the dead, so that we, if we trust him and receive him, can have the answer to our past. We can have freedom and deliverance from the guilt of our sin. And that's why Peter can say, first of all, in the gift of Jesus is the forgiveness of sins. But then he says, 
if you repent and you show your faith in Jesus through being baptized, you not only will be forgiven of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the gift of the Holy Spirit is another part of the gift of Jesus to us. And it's the gift for our present. Forgiveness of sins is the gift for our past. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift for our present, for what we're going through right now. Um, There was, I think I've mentioned this before, uh, an older couple back in the days when um, microwaves were just coming out. And they wanted one, and so their son gave them one. And yet their, their initial excitement was quickly turned into sadness because they could not figure out how to work it. And they couldn't even boil water or do any simple things with this microwave. And one day, a friend of uh, the wife's asked her about the gift, and she basically said, you know, I can't get this thing to work. And what I realize is I don't really need better directions. I just need my son to come along with the gift. So the point is, in the Old Testament, you've got the law. You've got the word of God. But you don't have, for every believer, the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable them to live out that law. That's what we have under the new covenant. Every believer has the gift of the Holy Spirit to put into practice the instructions that we find in the word of God. And so when we ask the question, if, if um, in a sense, Christmas is about God helping us, how does he do that? He doesn't just send us a gift and, and just give us instructions. He shows up himself. Because the phrase, the gift of the Holy Spirit, isn't like um, my handing this to Milan. This is a gift of Earl to Milan. Now, that's not the picture being painted here. It would be if I came alongside Milan and said, I'm here to help you. That's what the word helper means in John 14, is someone who comes alongside to help. And that's the picture of what we have in the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift is the Holy Spirit. It's not the gift from the Holy Spirit, although the Holy Spirit does give us things, but he comes to be present with us. In Psalm 46, 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The Holy Spirit is the present help we need. Uh, Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's what it means for God to be our God, is that he's committed to helping us. He promises to be our helper. And that's why Jesus could say in John 14.16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Jesus is the first helper. But the other helper, just like me, is the Holy Spirit. He will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. This is the comforter, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside us to help us with his helpful presence. He's not just helping us from a distance by sending us things. He has come to live inside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The question is, though, do we really need that help? 
you know, can't we kind of do do it on our own? Can't, won't we be okay? Um, what could be so impossible that we really need God? That's a real question because there are plenty of people who would say, I don't know that I really need God that desperately. Well, it's interesting. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, God creates man, and he says in verse 18, I will make him a helper. And that helper is Eve. That helper is the woman. That word for helper, most of the time in the Old Testament, is used for God. It's used in Psalm 121, verse 2, where it says, My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. What does that mean? It means that God created woman for man, not because man just needed someone to clean up after him and do things that he didn't want to do. He could do it, but he just didn't want to do it. No, God gave Eve to Adam because he needed someone who could do what he could not do. Because ultimately that's what we see in God. God is someone who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so what kinds of things can't we do for ourselves? We can't pray. How do I know that? It doesn't mean we can't pray at all. It just means we can't pray as we should. It says in Romans eight twenty six, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray, not at all, but as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What else can't we do? Uh, witness to the point of death. Um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And um, as best we know, 11 out of those 12 apostles were martyred. They weren't just, you know, go around sharing sharing the gospel and, you know, living their life uh, to the end with ease. They all were persecuted and they were martyred. They were put to death for their witness. And that's the kind of power that we need and don't have on our own. We will not die for Jesus on our own. The Holy Spirit has to enable us to do just that. We need the Holy Spirit for worship. In Ephesians 5, it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Is there anything you're not thankful for right now? Is there anything you struggle to be thankful for? Is there anything you in the past haven't been thankful for or struggled to be thankful for? The reality is all of us can say, yes, there are things in our lives we have a hard time truly giving thanks for. And there are things that people have experienced that have been horrible. And God says to them, always give thanks for all things. How do you do that? takes the Holy Spirit to do that. You don't do that on your own. We need it for ministry. It says in 1 Peter 4, as each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Speak just like God would speak. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. 
can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In other words, we need the Holy Spirit to enable us to obey. A great illustration of that is where Jesus is walking on the water. The disciples are in a boat, and they see him walking on the water, and they're terrified, and he says, don't need to be, to be afraid, it's just me. And Peter says, if it's really you, Lord, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come, commands him to come. Peter gets out of the boat, starts walking on the water. And as we know, he begins to look around at the waves, and he begins to sink, he cries out for help, and Jesus saves him. If you ever read your Bible with your eyes wide open, whenever God commands you to do something, it's like commanding you to walk on water. And I'm going to tell you what, why that is right now. The reason why that is, is because God commands us to be like Jesus. Um, it says in John 15, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. That means it's impossible for us to be like Jesus apart from the enabling of the Holy Spirit, the help of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that Jesus said would come and be your helper. Um, It says in Romans 8, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We can't kill sin. We can't overcome sin. But the Spirit in us can and does. So we can't be like Christ our own. For Jesus to say, be like me, is to say, walk on water. Also, Uh, when it says give thanks for all things and in all things, like suffering. That's like God saying walk on water, an impossible thing unless God enables us to do it. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul has a thorn in his flesh and he cries out, God, remove this. And Jesus appears to him and says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, I can't live with this thorn in the flesh. Jesus says, Oh, yes, you can. By my grace. By my spirit, because the spirit is the spirit of grace. He's the helper. So it's through the Holy Spirit. If you read Hebrews 11, uh, the hall of faith, sounds pretty good. Very first part, Abraham going to the promised land and Moses taking the people out of uh, uh, bondage in Egypt, uh, those kinds of things. But then toward the end of it, it begins talking in ways that makes me really uncomfortable. Uh, Starts talking about how... um, in verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, 
from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. All of that sounds pretty good. Then you get to, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. So what's the message of that? What's the message of Samson? You ever read the story of Samson and say, didn't this guy ever do anything right? And yet God uses him. And he's a true believer. He's listed in the hall of faith. The message of Samson is sinners are enabled by the Spirit to do things they could not do on their own. It is very evident that God wanted, wanted us to know that Samson was a sinner. He didn't highlight any of his good traits, or very few. He said, this, this guy's a sinner just like you are, but he's a true believer just like you are. And I will enable you just like I enabled him to do things that you can't do on your own. You've got the message of Isaiah who, according to tradition, was sawn in two just like this scripture talks about. Sinners are enabled by the Spirit not only to do what they can't do on their own, but to suffer things that they could never suffer on their own. It terrifies me to think about being sawn in two. I think I, think I might run away. I think I might avoid that with everything in me, except for the grace of God, except for the Holy Spirit, who will enable us to suffer what we would not suffer, could not suffer on our own. You've got the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which I think is reference to those who quenched the power of fire. did say they didn't go through the fire. They quenched the power of fire. How do they do that? Well, God was with them. If you recall the story, Nebuchadnezzar throws them to the, the fiery furnace, three of them. And then he looks and he says, hey, there's four, four people in there. And he says, was it not three men who, who we cast bound into the midst of the fire? He says, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Jesus was with them. Jesus was there to help them endure the fiery trial that they could not endure on their own. Ultimately, all this has to do with the Spirit is in us to help us to trust God in ways we can't trust him on our own. You find the story of the man whose son uh, needs deliverance from a demon, and the father comes to Jesus and says, If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus replies, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help thou my unbelief. It's the cry of a believer who knows the sinfulness of his own heart, the fact that he still is so unbelieving. But the Spirit is in us to help us trust. And the reality is, God helps us in ways that are oftentimes imperceivable. All of us are familiar with the Footprints poem about you know, Jesus in this, 
this other person walking along the beach and two sets of footprints. And then at some point in the life, there's only, his life, there's only one set of footprints. And um, there's this discussion between this person and the Lord. And, and he says, you know, I noticed at one point in my life that, in fact, the saddest, most difficult point in my life, there's only one set of footprints. And I'm really bothered by the fact that you left me at my neediest point. And obviously, you recall that in the poem, Jesus says, I didn't leave you, I was carrying you. The point of the poem is, he did not know that he was being carried. The Old Testament says, God tells Israel, I carried you through the wilderness. Do you realize how many times they they um, complained in the wilderness and how many times they wanted to go back to Egypt? And God says, don't you know I was carrying you that whole time? Just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it ain't happening. God is carrying us. He carries his people. The Holy Spirit is with us to carry us, to carry our faith, to make sure it doesn't die, to help us through difficult situations. And then finally, he helps us with loving. And this goes back to at the heart of what you might say is the idea of impossible situations. Just think of relationships in your life where you think, it's just impossible for me to be patient with this person or kind to this person or um, want to be around this person more than five minutes or whatever it may be. Think of those impossible relationships and situations. And that's why the Holy Spirit has been given to us. It says in Romans 5, 5, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can enable us to love in what we would consider impossible situations. Every relationship is impossible, really. But we just are more aware of certain um, situations. But that's why Jesus could say in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? It doesn't take the Holy Spirit in the same way to love those who are treating us just like we want them to treat us. Because I'm getting what I want. It's when I'm not getting what I want and when people aren't treating us the way I want them to treat or we want them to treat us that we recognize that we need the Holy Spirit. We desperately need God because only God loves his enemies and only God can help us to love our enemies. And those enemies may not be literal enemies. They just might be people that we feel like are in our way. They're just a hindrance to what we want. They're not allowing us to accomplish and live the life that we want to live. And we need God to help us. Well, I don't have much time left, so let me just try to wrap this up. One of the questions we have to ask is, if God, in the gift of Jesus, to all those who receive him by faith, are given the Holy Spirit as our helper, God, our present helper, is it automatic? Is it just something that happens? Well, God is sovereign. He can do with us and through us and in us whatever he chooses to do. But God has also appointed certain means through which the Holy Spirit works. And he actually calls us to seek his help through those means. And the first of these is prayer. Prayer, you could say, is the cry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us to pray. 
How do we know that? It says in Romans 8, You have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So the Spirit leads us to pray, and he gives us what we need, the help we need, through prayer. We need to make that connection because so many times we want help and we want God's help, but for whatever reason, we're so slow to pray. We're so slow to cry out to God for the help we need. It says in Psalm 5:2, Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In Philippians 1, Paul says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Prayers and the provision of the Spirit go together. Those aren't two separate things. Those go together. And so prayer is the cry of the Holy Spirit, and it's the cry for the Holy Spirit. And we need to give ourselves to prayer if we believe we've been given the Holy Spirit. Second thing is the Word. In Ephesians, it says uh, the Word of God, excuse me, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so the Word is so very, very important. There's a story in Luke 10 about Mary and Martha. Martha's busy in the kitchen. She says, Jesus, won't you tell Mary to come help me? And Jesus is seated at the Excuse me, Mary is seated at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're bothered about so many things. But there's really only one thing that's really necessary. One thing we can get from that is Martha felt like she needed Mary's help in the kitchen. What she didn't know was she needed Jesus' help. And she needed to sit at his feet and listen to his word. That's what she needed. She didn't need more help in the kitchen. She needed help from Jesus through his word. That's what she needed. And that's what we need. That's our most important need. That's why it says in John 6, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. The last means of uh, how God gives us his spirit is actually the church what we're doing right here, what we are right here. Um, The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? That's not you singular, that's you plural. means all of you as the church gathered. You, church of Corinth, the gathered people of God, the assembly of God, you together are the temple of God of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God has given each of us gifts and abilities that that we don't have, that all of us don't have. He's given us individual gifts, different gifts. That means whatever gifts I don't have, I need. But I need them through you. That we need each other because we've all been gifted differently. The Holy Spirit helps us through the gifts that he gives to the different members of the body of Christ. Well, the last big question I want to ask and answer very briefly is, is it really a serious thing not to have God's help? Is it really a big deal? Well, let me just say very briefly that we live in a dangerous fallen world. This world is more dangerous than we know. If you read your Bible closely, Over and over again, the Bible reminds us of just how dangerous this world is. One of the dangers of this world is we naturally think we have the resources that we need in ourselves. That's why the atheist George Bernard Shaw, at the end of his life, said, you know what, 
um, my atheistic philosophy um, has totally disappointed me, and I have lost my faith. Not his faith in God, but his faith in himself, his faith in humanity, his faith in humanity apart from God. He lost that faith when he saw there was no help to be found there, even though he lived his life believing that that's where help was to be found. Secondly, we're, we're offer, excuse me, often offered help that is actually just the opposite. There's a story of a nurse named Jolly Jane Topin. Jolly Jane Topin was a nurse who doctors loved and patients loved, but she was a serial killer. She drugged her patients and she killed them and she enjoyed the process of watching them suffer. She appeared to be a helper, but she was a destroyer. Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? Satan comes in the form of a serpent and says to Eve, Let me help you. Let me help you get what you want. Let me help you have what you desire. And the way you can have it is if you just disobey that foolish command of God. Satan comes in various forms through various people as a helper, but he's really a killer. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. Finally, we are often blind to the help offered us in God. I mentioned Robin Williams last week who took his life about six years ago. Another part of his story is the helplessness that he felt. He incurred an unusual brain um, disease. He began to feel like he was losing his mind. He began to lose control of his body and he felt trapped. He felt like he couldn't do anything to help himself No one else could do anything to help him. But he did not get the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. That there is one who can help. His name is Aslan. His name is Jesus. There is a helper. And as far as we know, unfortunately, at least in terms of what anyone could see, he did not cry out to Jesus for help. I pray that maybe in the last moments of his life he did. Corrie ten Boom and Betsy ten Boom were in the concentration camp in Ravensbrück. And Betsy ten Boom, before she died in that concentration camp, told Corrie, there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that God and his love And his Holy Spirit is not deeper still. Helplessness in our struggles robs us of joy and makes us want to take our lives. But we have a helper. Do you believe that God is for you? Do you believe that he's here to help in every situation? Are you seeking his help? Have you received the gift of his son, I'll close with this verse. He, Hosea 13.9 says, It is your destruction, O Israel, that you are against me, against your help. It is your destruction that you're against me, your help. Same word that I mentioned from Genesis chapter 2. Help that you cannot 
provide on your own. But the, all, the opposite of that is true too. It is your delight to embrace me and trust in me and receive me as your help by trusting Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would just help us to receive your great and wonderful good news of the help we need in Jesus, of the deliverance from guilt that we can find in Jesus. Please help us to receive your gift and help us to rejoice in your Son this Christmas. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen.